Hey everybody, welcome to Campus Comics Cast, coming to you from Carbondale, Illinois, with special guests from the Campus Comics crew, and now, here's your host, the man with the previews in hand, Mike No. So welcome to the Campus Comic Cast, this is the podcast for Muddy Monsters Comics. Um, I am joined uh, this episode by... Mike Atchison. And Chad Schubert. And uh, Muddy Monster Comics is located at 1422 Walnut Street in Murfreesboro, Illinois. And you can contact the store through Facebook, or you can call 618-457-6011. The store is currently operating uh, Tuesday to Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about our thoughts of the first uh, episodes of both Loki and Sweet Tooth. We're going to try to do it spoiler-free, but uh, apologies if we slip up on something or something that you consider to be a spoiler. Um, Then we're going to cover Volume 3 of The Immortal Hulk and uh, wrap up discussing some of the books that we've been reading uh, recently. But before we get uh, too deep into that, we do want to remind you uh, that on July 24th, uh, Muddy Monster Comics is going to be holding its first mini-con. The special guest for the mini-con is going to be Jason Font. He he played the Red Ranger in Power Rangers uh, Time Force. Um, but apparently he's been in some Hallmark movies too. So okay. if you've got a you know a significant other who's into the Hallmark films, then maybe they'll recognize <laughs> him. So if you need an excuse to maybe drag them out to the minicon, uh, there there you go. So uh, he has a fairly list of credits on IMDb. Um, so you should get a chance to get something signed by either a Power Ranger or the Hallmark movie love interest. So you can <laughs> do that as you um, as you please. And of course there gonna be some other guests there. Um, to you know, Brian K. Morris, he's a, a, an author. Justin Holman, um, artists for both Marvel and Xenoscope. Uh, Joe Dodd is supposed to be there. He's also worked for Marvel, DC, and Xenoscope. So, um, in addition to Jason Font, there's going to be several other guests and people selling comics, and Star Wars, and and all kinds of great stuff. So, um, but before we dig in, just some sad news that came across the wire literally as we were getting ready uh, to record. Uh, Ned Beatty uh, passed away today, June 13th. Um, it appears he died of natural causes. He was 83 years old. Um, and of course, for, probably for most comic book people, uh, his big role is, of, co- of course, as Otis from the Superman film. Um, you know, the Otisburg scene, you know, it's just a small place. Um, you, know, uh, you know, always stuck in my mind, but uh, he was, you know, one of the all time great character actors, um, honestly. Oh, so, yeah. I don't know. You guys have any thoughts about the passing of Ned Beatty? I just love the way he pronounced Mr. or Lex Luthor's name, Mr. Luthor. You know, he, <laughs> he, he, he played that part really well. Yeah, it's just a, it's a classic name that you you hear in, in just actors. Uh, so I, I guess you could say one of one of the big ones has passed. I did not realize that he was born in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh. Yeah, 1937, Louisville, Kentucky. So I wonder why he doesn't have a sign up there with Scarlett Johansson. Or is it Scarlett Johansson? No, she's not from there. Who is it? the actress that's from there also? I don't remember who it is. <laughs> <laughs> There's some actress that they have a big sign for as you go into Louisville. Oh, I see. And, uh, because that's her hometown. And uh, 
you think you'd think Ned Beatty. I guess maybe he's just not as pretty to look at as she was. Right. So. <laughs> so anyway, so the you know the passing of uh, Ned Beatty. Um, of course, he's had lots of other uh, lots of other acting credits as well. So um, I guess as you know the. The, the the longer we go, the more, you know, the more people we're going to lose. So mm-hmm. obviously it's just the way things, the way, you know, circle of life, I guess. So I think you're talking about Jennifer Lawrence. That is correct. Uh, Thank okay. you. Yeah. She's and got, I, 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 yeah, I dug that up from the, the recesses of my mind. Um, instead of Google, I promise I didn't look that up. <laughs> well, it's been so long since I've I've got a friend in Lexington that I go visit usually a couple times a year and well I haven't been to visit him in a while uh because of all the covid stuff, so I haven't driven through there to actually uh see. So, um gotcha. yeah, I, but yeah, you are correct. It definitely is Jennifer Lawrence. I googled and I still couldn't find it. So, <laughs> <laughs> You are better I could than have said Mary. Mary Travers from uh, Peter Paul and Mary is also from there. <laughs> and of course, I got the big, you know, the the small ballpark there with like the Louisville Slugger bats, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Okay, enough about Louisville. <laughs> Let's go on. Well, to this isn't a Louisville podcast. <laughs> no, I don't think so. So those, of course, we doubt have a tie to Louisville for comics. So there you go. Bit of a stretch. It's almost it's not quite six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but it's. It's it's there. So okay, so so let's start with let's start with Loki. So the first episode of Loki premiered last uh, Wednesday. It was what the ninth, I think. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Uh. Thoughts. What is everybody's thoughts? Uh. I like uh, this how spoiler free first, right? Yeah. So, spoiler free. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're gonna try to go spoiler free. Apologies if we goof, but for the most part, spoiler free. I think anything that would have, uh, you know. I, I think it's fine to talk about the, the TVA and right. the, about Loki and to talk about some of the scenes, but, and I really don't think there was anything too terribly big that you can spoil in the first episode anyway. So, right. But, uh, yeah. So Shad, what were you going to say? Go oh, ahead. uh, I, I liked, uh, you know how we started out just kind of really, uh, kicking off where Endgame left off with Loki's story like that. Uh, throughout the uh, the whole first episode, there's a lot of clips and parts and pieces of uh, probably this is out of the three uh, series that we've seen so far. It has the most direct connection to the Marvel movies that we've seen. There's a lot of clips, a lot of memories, a lot of showing Loki what's happened in different timelines, stuff that we have all seen. Um, but we know that this Loki diverted uh uh, before some specific things kind of happened in the movies, uh, like him dying uh, at Thanos's hand. So mm-hmm. I thought that was a, a pretty cool thing. Uh, and yeah, like I said, a lot, lot closer tied than the rest of the movies or TV shows. Sorry. I did like that. They tied it in in game. The one thing that I did like, especially in the opening sequence is they had all those extra cuts of Hiddleston where he's just like reacting to something, but there's no other character in the yeah. So you know they just filmed some shots of him just making weird looks and and expressions, and it just really felt kind of out of place. I, I didn't care that for that too terribly much, um, but uh, but yeah, it is great that they tied that into you know gosh to Endgame and um, you know a couple of the Thor movies and. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, yeah. 
And of course, this is the they're they're addressing the potential plot hole with Loki being pulled out of the time stream in Endgame, which they address yep. in this immediately in this first episode. So. Yeah, yeah, you kind and of they, know they do it well. Handling. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I thought they did it well. They um they they really articulated in this show how time travel works in the Marvel universe. I don't know if it's consistent in all the movies and shows, but this made sense the way they literally kind of drew it out in that animation sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, <laughs> I, 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 I thought, okay, that makes sense to me. It's the timey wimey usually kind of throws me off a bit. Um, but I, I really liked how they did it. And it, I felt like, okay. I, and it had just enough. I'm not necessarily the, I'm, I do like continuity and I like to say that I'm more of a connectivity. Um, all, you know, uh, I, I disciple than I am a continuity disciple. So I want it to be there to be some connection and not just be completely random. I like to see that there's connection between universes and, and, and different shows and they did a good job of that. Um I mean Star Power with Hilston, um it was only added to by somebody like Owen Wilson in the show. Um he he does a good job. And uh yeah I I I really enjoyed it. Uh it was, it was, it's, it's, a, once again, it's hard to compare apples to apples, this show against the other two shows that preceded it. Uh, a lot to be learned, you know, a lot to, a lot to see yet. So we'll see how it turns out, but so far so good. They are handling time travel in the Marvel cinematic different than they handle it in the Marvel comics. Mm. Um, because in the Marvel comics, if somebody time travels, you basically create, it creates a whole new timeline Mm -hmm. and for the most part it's almost like they say that the person who time traveled can't get back to their original timeline so it's basically everything from that point is is a new timeline now they obviously have broken that several times uh in the in the comics um uh, especially when they did like the age of ultron storyline a few however many years ago that was Uh, but that's always kind of been how it has been in the comics but in the cinematic you kind of have that one timeline which is how you know Steve Rogers was able to go back and put the 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 Infinity Stones back where they were supposed to be and kind of restore things how they were. So, uh, so they're handled a little different in the cinematic than they are in the in the comics, which is fine. I'm actually glad they are handling a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was interesting that they you know he Loki and when he was on trial uh, makes mention of uh, that the Avengers had had broken the the rules first and and just them saying uh well that was what they were supposed to do that there's a difference between time travel that is within the timeline of the TVA and then there's time travel that's outside of that and what's what is breaking the rules is a little bit uh a little bit wobbly to uh to people because TVA is kind of making up the rules as they go they're like well that was right. because we let that happen yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, I had that same thought and as soon as i had the thought then they explained it <laughs> and they, they, you know, yeah. say, oh no but it's okay for them to do it so yeah. like, all right well you guys you're running the show so say what you want but uh, and i don't but know time, if... time, the simpler to keep it the better it is for me uh, you yes. get mm, man i long for the days of the 60s when it was just you know you'd you know you had the rainbows and the bubbles and stuff and you just went from here to there and nothing got messed up now it's like we try to what what were you, you know, doing nice. in the 60s that you had rainbows and bubbles all the time that's what i want to know <laughs> 
I'm reading comics from the 60s. 60s. Oh, okay. Just checking. Yeah. No psychedelic stuff. <laughs> no. You don't look like it. You know, well, the 60s were psychedelic, but, you know. You know what I'm talking about. Well, maybe you don't. So, they, obviously, uh, I think it was a pretty good start for the Loki series. You know, yeah. I, I didn't have any, other than, like I said, the goofy reaction shots. I didn't have any big complaints. I do feel like that the Loki we have now is not the Loki that the Marvel Cinematic started with. You know, I think because of the popularity of Hiddleston in that role that they have kind of basically tweaked what that character has done. You know, if, if you would have written out his story for the next 15 years, you know, as him starting as a villain, we wouldn't be where we are now. But because he was so popular, they've had to, yeah. you know, they've had to break their own timeline, you know, to establish <laughs> a new timeline. So maybe the TVA needs to go after the Marvel Cinematic writers, you know, so. I was never really a, a big Hiddleston fan. I didn't, I, you know, at the beginning, it just wasn't, he didn't really do it for me. I didn't, I didn't like his character. Uh, it just, it just, I don't know, something about it wasn't drawing. He wasn't this captivating uh, villain to me. Uh, but I really seen just this first episode, 45 minutes or whatever it was, uh, was like, okay, I, I start to get the, the personal side of it a little bit more. Um, I guess cause the rest of it was like, okay, this is kind of textbook Loki, whatever is, you know, it, it didn't really have what I had thought was a lot of feeling to the performances before, or just kind of was like, we were doing what we were supposed yeah. to do. Uh, but now I'm, I'm kind of getting into the character and getting into that, you know, forgivable kind of trickstery, I guess, kind of personality of, of Loki, uh, and not just constantly trying to have these giant plans to rule the yeah. world, uh, which I kind of right. like. Yeah. The, it's, it's really hard to talk more about this without spoiling it, but the redemption <laughs> of Loki is a strong storyline and that this addresses that a bit, um, him seeing, you know, whatever. So, well, well I, I guess we're all going to say that we're going to keep watching the series, though. Yeah. I think, at this point, yeah. So. Oh, oh yeah, especially oh, yeah. since I figured out my passwords are not, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, I haven't, my kids haven't given away all my passwords. I was able to watch both um, Disney Plus and Netflix, so and Netflix. good okay. to go. Yeah. Without streaming on too many, too many screens, then. Okay. That's good. right. Good. So well, speaking of Netflix, assuming we're done with Loki, let's go ahead and jump on over and talk about Sweet Tooth. All right. So, uh, but I don't know, Mike, let's start with you. what did you think about Sweet Tooth? Oh, I loved it. I mean, <laughs> I loved it. I mean, this, I don't know how many adjectives I can pile on this, but it had just the right combination of fantasy and the, you know, apocalyptic disaster stuff, survivalism, uh, even the narration at the beginning, I thought I was watching a, a Winnie the Pooh cartoon with that, <laughs> you know, with that guy talking in that kind of hoarse voice. Mm -hmm. uh, it just had so many different elements of things I liked. And it was just, and it was, it had some darkness to it. Um, but yet it was strangely whimsical at times. Um, and even had, I felt, I remember there was a part, part where I'm like, this feels like Home Alone. I mean, because, you know, uh, you know, you got, What's his name? Gus, right? Yeah, yeah Gus. Gus. Yeah, right. Setting set the traps yeah. and slingshot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that was great stuff. Um, it had a. I mean, as as an episode as a whole goes, it was a great hook to this series. I thought, and uh, I'll have a hard time not when we get done tonight, not going to the next episode. I'm <laughs> probably going to do that. So. Oh, you're allowed. And yeah, sure. 
And it's eerily relevant. I'm, I'm surprised almost that they put this out because, you know, sometimes our society gets a little squeamish about stuff. But, right. you know, so I didn't want to without spoiling it. It's relevant. Yeah. Well, what did you think about the changes from the comic to the series from the from the comic to the TV series? I'm afraid I wouldn't know. Oh, have you not read Sweet Tooth? No, I have not. Oh, really? Oh, okay. It's, it had been a couple of years since I'd read it, at least the first volume of it. I'm trying to remember how far I got into it. Um, but there were there were quite a few changes. Like, yeah. you know, you're not introduced to any of the Doctor at all. Yeah, I liked and, that a lot, actually. Several, I don't know how many issues before you actually see that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, um, yeah, I call it like a big change. And, uh, well, again, I, I don't know, we're trying not to do too many spoilers or anything on this, but... Uh, one of the th- changes that I thought could end up being very significant is, and I had to, I had to think about this. I actually went through and flipped through the first issue. I did too. Hey, okay, good. I'm glad yeah. one. I refreshed. <laughs> yeah, and because um, I was like, man, that is, there's a lot of stuff different than what I remember. And the one thing is, is that on, on their little plot of land, there are two graves, not one grave. Oh, so, I didn't pay attention to that. Yeah, so that could be, you know, a significant change in the story from the comics right okay um, but i'm stepping on shad's time shad what do you got to say about you're fine uh yeah i uh i i loved that we opened with a lot more background on the sick a lot more background on the hybrids because when you and in the comic you're like boom you're right into the action of gus and his dad and 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 that kind of dynamic and and where that leads uh eventually kind of to the events that you get in issue one that really take a turn for the entire story kind of kicks it all off uh, without spoiling anything. Uh, but I, I love that we spent a lot of time kind of building up uh, Dr. Singh, I think is how you pronounce his name or uh, yes. S-I-N-G-H. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I love that we spent a lot of time with him that we really don't. Yeah. Like you said, we don't get until probably after the first volume, if probably, I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, and just getting kind of a side by side of what's happening in the city with him as a doctor, kind of first responder and, and what is going on with, uh, Gus and his dad and their kind of adventure out in the woods. It kind of reminded me of the duality of, uh, the walking dead, uh, TV series kind of being really grounded in the woods and the camps and everything. And then fear the walking dead when it started up was like in the city, in the midst of the disaster. And it was kind of a cool side by side that they did on that first episode that I really dug. Yeah. In the, in the series, we get a lot more history of Gus and his father, Papa, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever he's referred to as, whereas there's almost none of that in the comic. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the comic, I mean, that character dies within the, you know, (laughs) in the first few like oh, wow. uh, half the book or something like that. So that's a, there's, there's a lot of difference, which makes me think that this is not going to, I think it's going to, hopefully it's going to follow the spirit of the comic book, but not follow the letter of the comic, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, which is good because, you know, we want something of an original story because, you know, we want to, you know, want to have something new. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I hope they set it up to uh, potentially, widen the world a little bit you know we we see through the whole journey of sweet tooth is very much gus's story and that's all we see in the comic so in in the tv show could we see a wider array of what actually happens to the entire world 
when the sick hits and when the hybrids start being born and, uh, you know, potentially do we set up this story to continue past to what we saw in the 45 issues or whatever it is of Sweet Tooth? Um, because the, the new little mini that they just did is thousands of years ahead. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah it's a oh, giant okay. gap. Uh, I have, so, okay, like, like god emperor of dune giant gap <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah. wow yeah okay. <laughs> so the the end of sweet tooth and the beginning of the return is like there's so much time that they could really kind of fill in with they they could do a pretty long-standing series if they wanted to okay. well, well uh i think i sounds again like it's another one that we definitely all enjoyed so mm-hmm. i don't know yeah, any other they got a winner here it. yeah and of course the robert downey jr's involved Mm-hmm. And his, I assume his wife. His wife, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I even, I, I, one thing that I usually don't notice in a lot of shows is music. Cause I, you know, to me, like if you notice the music too much, then it's in the way. Yeah. Right. But the, um, the song at the closing of the first episode, I, I like, I have to go find out about this song. Right. So, and this is like some, I, Irish group like song from like 2012 or something like that. It was kind of, mm. but it was like, you know, it was really, really good. So, so far, at least for the first episode, they're doing really good with the soundtrack as well. So Yeah. I remember uh, reading the, reading the, um, the captions for the lyrics to that song thinking that's really good. I, I never did look it up to, to see who was singing it, but <laughs> yeah, I, I had, well, let's see if I still have it on my phone. So any other thoughts while I'm seeing if I still have this on my phone? Oh, here it is. It's called uh, Dirty Paws by Of Monsters and Men. Oh, yeah, they're that's an, right. Monsters and Men. They're yeah, an Icelandic I love band. band. Yeah. yeah. They're a good time. They're, very, they're, they're pretty mainstream, yeah. They're, they're yeah. very mainstream for that time frame, anyway. They, that was a unique... That was a, uh, they had a sound that was kind of... Between, like, 2008 and 2015, there was a certain sound that, then, that they that they were matching for music. I don't know, Shad, you're the music guy, but you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just that, that, uh, that kind of new wave of folk that came out and yeah. that yeah. kind of guy and girl <laughs> voice together is just, they, yes. they did something special there. They, they did a lot of that during the uh, Olympics around that time. I remember there mm. being some, yeah, I I'd have to, I just, it just definitely brought me back 10 or 12 years and, and making me think about, uh, Little but anyway, the, oh my gosh. That's what that song is like on my like my regular playlist. I did not oh. realize that it was the same the same group. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm gonna have to like actually buy that album now. Oh, so. it's good. Oh, okay. I think I just listened to it again not too long ago. It just showed up and I was like, oh, I'll listen to that. Yeah. Well, it's like that song Little Talks, I have this playlist and I, I don't listen to a lot of music. I'm used to listening to podcasts. So it's like yeah. anytime I'm in the vehicle with my wife, I have a song a playlist of about 15, 20 songs that I always play just to have music on. Mm-hmm. And that song Little Talks is in my perpetual yeah, playlist huh. i like it that much so yeah. okay all right that's good to know wow all right <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm out i'm done i gotta go get this now <laughs> <laughs> all right so any other thoughts on sweet tooth uh i just i agree with with mike's kind of assessment of everything that there's just a there was a sense of like hopefulness in there that was just refreshing to see like through darkness and through everything yeah. there's just like that like that ray of hope and that song really did it too at the end was kind of helped with that kind of vibe of it yeah and yeah and chad i wanted to tell you that imagine dragons that's who i thought sang that that song when i first heard it 
because they have a similar sound. But uh, but yeah, I, I I just this is just an enjoyable show, and it's it's off the yeah you can say it's from a comic book, but I'll, I'll be honest, I'm I'm leaning more this way more and more every day every month into enjoying fiction that's not necessarily related to superheroes. So, um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed this. Okay. Speaking of superheroes though. Yeah. Speaking of, <laughs> let's go, let's go talk about a superhero comic book. Oh no, it's, uh, it's a horror comic. That's right, it <laughs> it's, is. A, it's a horror comic. <laughs> Uh, so we uh, we're going to continue our discussion of and review of Immortal Hulk. So we're up to volume three, which is issues eleven to fifteen. Um, we didn't talk about how we were going to go through this, um, but I have to say this because I somebody who listens to the podcast, um, a friend of mine, we went out to we went out for supper, and he had listened to us talking about the Immortal Hulk, and he said, "Hey, you know that that Jackie McGee." is a throwback to Jack McGee, who is the reporter from the Incredible Hulk TV series. And I said, no, I had no idea. Oh, so so nice. there you go. So that's apparently where that character at least has a little bit of an origin is from the, and again, our tie to, to the TV series. So, right. So there you go. Cut. That Good is a deep job, cut. friend yeah. of Scott. Yes. <laughs> so you need to bring him on the show. <laughs> he is a huge Incredible Hulk fan. So, uh, so yeah, so it's uh okay. So how are we gonna do this? Do we want to go issue by issue? Do we want to? Because uh, like I said, we didn't talk about this before we started. How we we're gonna go through? So um, any anybody got good notes? Um, I've got a couple of sentences per issue, just kind of a brief, very brief synopsis. Well, then uh, let's do that. that. I can rattle off, and then we can kind of go issue by issue that way. Yeah, so I guess I like that. yeah. So like so in issue ten where we left off, yeah. uh, we find the crew basically for lack of a better way of describing it in hell, right. Is basically yeah. where we find them. So, all right. So issue 11, take it away. So in issue 11, uh, now in hell or the quote unquote hell, yeah. uh, Jackie McGee and Hulk, uh, who Hulk is still weakened, uh, from his battle with the absorbing man, uh, who turned into the one below all and is very floppy skinned. Uh, he, uh, they're, they're walking through hell and run into a, a handful of people, Rick Jones, Jackie's father and, uh, general Ross, uh, who are all presumed or we know that Rick and Jackie's father are dead. We didn't know that general Ross was dead. Uh, but we're, we're assuming that at this moment in time, uh, and, uh, Thunderbolt Ross turns into the red Hulk to, uh, attack Hulk. Uh, but Hulk ends up ripping him apart in kind of some it's it's weird the way that he kind of just falls apart in strips and, and stuff like that. It's like Almost a balloon. Like yeah, or, yeah. Paper, yeah. 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 Uh, more and, of this visual horror in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, there's kind of side by side. There's a story of uh, Puck running into Crusher Creel, uh, who has just he kind of feels like this is all his fault. Something as. Because he was the one that was fighting Hulk, and uh, and and the the one below all, the devil, whatever, uh, came out of him. So he kind of has some guilt to it, uh, but Puck gives him kind of a pep talk, convinces him that they're going to go close the door that Crusher has opened, and it's revealed at the kind of center of hell. There's a a beam of uh, of green light that's at the top of the mountain, and Brian Banner is standing there with Bruce in the center of that green beam. 
Uh, it's kind of our cliffhanger image for that issue. Good one. I, the one sequence of panels that really sticks out is when they ran into the the animated corpse, I guess you would call, of Rick Jones, and they were calling him a hollow, or mm-hmm. he was not really the real Rick Jones, but he, the Hulk, the emaciated <laughs> Hulk. St- that's another adjective for Hulk, the emaciated, emaciated Hulk. Hulk. Yeah. yeah. He sticks his finger in his eye socket and then pulls it. It's one thing to do that, but then when he pulled out, it was all gooey. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I, did like, I did like the Puck and Crusher Creel sequence of panels, you know, mm-hmm. the conversation they had. I've never really read much of Alpha Flight uh, or much of anything. I don't know much about Puck, but I like him as a character based on this uh, mm-hmm. this rendition of him. I really enjoyed that. And then... And, you know, the best villains in my mind are the ones that have redeeming qualities like uh, Crusher Creel does. So all of that makes for a good, uh, good characters in this story. So, um, yeah, otherwise, it was just a good it was just an opening to the three issue. We're in hell sequence. Yeah, it's one thing that it was good. This introduction where Puck kind of I think it was in this issue where Puck kind of talks about himself. Is this the one mm-hmm. or am I yeah, or am I yeah, jumping right. ahead at an issue um, where he kind of gives a little bit of his history, you know? And it's just like yeah. you understand the character just from these handful of panels, you know. I mm-hmm. think that's that's a sign of a good writer. So absolutely, yeah. I vowed I would live an interesting life. So. <laughs> and, and, and although I don't know much about Marvel history, it tells me that 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 uh, the writer is doing a good job of trying to pull in all past incarnations of the Hulk, you know, all storylines and stuff. And I know that we'll talk more about that in the, in the subsequent issues, but um, yeah, he's Especially when we get to 15. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, Issue 12. Uh, well, I, I think, I mean, and General Ross, I'm trying to remember when he died this time because, you know, in one of the next issues, they talk about all of his various deaths and how right, they, yeah. they weren't. And I'm trying to remember if he died during Secret Empire um, is uh, kind of what I'm thinking that he might have died the third time, the alleged third time. So, um, is that something that was happening at the same time as this kind of? Yeah, yeah, okay. it kind of. It should be timing wise, should be pretty close. And I, I may just be totally wrong. That's probably something I shouldn't just say without you know looking it up and verifying it. But, uh, but yeah. So. And I'm assuming he was, was he the Red Hulk at some point? Yes. Because that's what he kind of transformed mm-hmm. in this issue. Yeah. Okay. So in um and this is so that goes back to that Avenger 684, um which was when the Immortal mm-hmm. Hulk first appears. Well, in that in that subsequent issue in 685, he fights um, the Immortal Hulk fights Thunderbolt Ross as the Red Hulk, but also powered up with basically it's almost like uh, Iron Patriot style armor. Um, And this is where we learn that the Immortal Hulk has the ability to absorb gamma radiation because he that's how he beats the Red Hulk because he pulls the gamma out of him. Uh, Okay. so, yeah. And that's in Avengers 685. So. Gotcha. All right. Issue 12. All right. So uh, we start with a flashback of Bruce's childhood, uh, giving more insight to his abusive relationship with his father, uh, who feels like Bruce uh, took his wife, uh, with Bruce's mom, away from him and her happiness. So uh, the uh, Brian's definitely got a, a warped sense of what a 
what a kid coming into life uh, does to a relationship of a husband and wife. And uh, you begin to see the rage that has uh, perhaps always been in Bruce. Uh, maybe there wasn't uh, one event that that kind of sparked Hulk, but maybe Hulk has always been there in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we kind of get a, a nod to. Uh, we start yeah. to establish more of Hulk's dissociative identi- identity disorder and that uh, Jackie kind of can connect with the Hulk by just looking at him. And uh, I think her dad is like, look into his eyes, tell him that you want to talk to him. And uh, so she asked to speak with Devil Hulk, uh, who said that someone uh, who said that someone needed to take over and lead the identities within uh, the Hulk slash Bruce Banner. And Devil Hulk was the one that kind of took those reins. Uh, We find out that Brian Banner killed Bruce's mom over the jealousy that her love for him was taken away. Um, And uh, and then we find out that the Hulk has killed Brian multiple times. throughout the the time that he's been around um this cloud entity appears and seems to be getting ready to attack brian bruce or both uh out of the sky of hell um and jackie calls at the end of the world but the devil hulk says it's not the end of the world because he is the end of the world and then there's a bunch of things uh that kind of gets tied into this issue uh, some really deep lore and words that i can't pronounce <laughs> <laughs> yeah i got a little lost through the second half of this issue um it it seemed there was a lot of quoting it almost seemed like a you remember in kingdom come a lot of bible quotes and stuff Mm -hmm. but i have no idea what that cloud entity was i mean maybe it's some personification of the devil i i don't know um but I'm pretty simple, so sometimes Scott or Dan or you have to kind of tell me what I'm missing out on here. Um, I, I read it so many times, that part, just to try to figure out what that cloud was, and I just could not pick up on my own. I did a little bit of, of kind of research and still couldn't get a, a direct uh, thing of what, what it was, except for, yeah, maybe it was the the devil or it was the incarnation of what they call the one below all, uh, perhaps. Yeah. Well, I took it as that was what Brian Banner was summoning. Okay. That, that's how I, and I may be completely wrong, but that was what in the next issue is going to get disrupted. Yeah. You know, because there's never a big fight with this thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, that's how I took that. So, okay. and again, I'm probably wrong, but, uh, but uh, uh, that's that's what it seems to me anyway. So I've, I've been trying. I'm trying to figure out because you know the the child Bruce carries around that little green Marvel monster doll, uh-huh. and I'm yeah. trying to figure out which Marvel monster that is. As I'm so I'm distracted by that right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it had purple so, shorts on, then it would be Fing Fang Foom. But it didn't have purple purple shorts, so I'm not uh, sure which Marvel monster it is. So, um, but I'm I am pretty sure it's one of the Marvel monsters. So it's it's in there too often to not be you know have some significant history. Right. So. <laughs> I do like how they really expound on the the whole multiple personality aspect because that those two pages where uh, I don't know if you call him the the raging Hulk or the one that's almost childlike and he's crying. Why does Hulk have to hurt so much? Mm-hmm. And Jackie's kind of you know she's trying to explain to him, and then Devil Hulk takes back over the uh, the you know, the, um, the consciousness, 
but yeah, that's interesting. That that really does make the whole story more interesting when you have more more than one personality. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that it really kind of once they started really talking about it and you what you kind of from the beginning started to kind of assume was happening, they kind of clarify or Jackie kind of clarifies that this is what it is. There are yeah. multiple in and uh, and you have to address them all separately and know who's who's kind of taking the floor at the moment and and be right. able to kind of do that and to know that Devil Hulk is the one that is kind of the leader of them all. It kind of is helpful right. to the understanding of the story. Yeah. I'm still thinking. I'm thinking that maybe is Fing Fang Foom. It's without the pur- without the purple shorts. Because I'm like I'm looking at some old like monster covers and okay. and uh, he's got like the little. Oh yeah, it's gotta be. Fing- yeah, I don't yeah. even know Marvel, but that's gotta be with those little <laughs> things on yeah. his chin and the the fin ears. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's gotta be. Yeah. But they, they always drew him with purple shorts. So without him having purple shorts, you know, because <laughs> you know with comics code you couldn't have any nudity, so they had to draw uh, the dragon with the uh, yeah. you know. There's no parts. That's you right. It's like the yeah. surface. Like why you always yeah. burn his feet up, You know. So okay. Right. Yeah. I, I, I can stop being distracted by that now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a call on that. That that is that is ping ping boom. So thirteen. Are we to thirteen? Yeah, yeah. thirteen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the cloud monster who actually wasn't attacking uh, Brian or Bruce. It kind of just seemed like it from that previous issue. Uh, he appears to have brought on uh, this uh, bunch of monsters into the city, um, and Hulk fights them uh, with the help of the now transformed but still dead Rick Jones. Uh, Rick doesn't make it very far, though, before he's torn apart in kind of the same fashion that we saw Red Hulk, uh, Thunderbolt Ross kind of torn apart, just in, like you said, kind of paper pieces almost. Uh, Crusher and Puck, who have been working their way to the top of the mountain, uh, that Brian and Bruce are at uh, finally get to the top. Uh, faced with fighting Brian Banner, uh, Crush uh, Crusher decides that he's not going to win that fight and he's got a, a better plan instead and uh, is able to, I guess, kind of pull Bruce out of the uh, the gamma light um, and is able to, while when doing that, uh, kind of reinstates Hulk's powers. I guess mm-hmm. maybe that kind of that beam was holding. Hulk's gamma, his gamma powers. Uh, and so uh, Hulk no longer has loose skin, kind of fills in everything again. And you know that he means business and uh, is able to do a big Hulk clap and uh, eliminates all the monsters um, and returns uh, everyone to Los Diablos. Uh, and uh, Bruce and Hulk are kind of, he, Bruce is laying there and Hulk's able to confront him and say, come with me and, um, with a little bit of convincing, says, you know, we can close the the the, the door and we can move on, uh, which they do. No one knows where uh, Bruce or Hulk are uh, back on Earth, uh, but uh, Bruce ends up calling Betty uh, and says he needs to come home finally. So he's finally getting a chance to get a hold of Betty now. Yeah. So going back to the scene with Absorbing Man, one mm-hmm. thing you got to remember is what is his power? It's to absorb, right? Yeah. So what he does is instead of trying to beat Brian basically on the own grounds, he basically absorbs all all that gamma power. And how I took mm-hmm. that scene was he absorbed all that gamma and then was able to return it to ah. the Hulk kind of in that – it looks almost like this you know, energy-style blast where he absorbs all that gamma and then basically crashes – 
you know, down into Hulk. And that is the point where Hulk gets all of the uh-huh. gamma ability, the gamma radiation back. And we go from that emaciated Hulk back to our full blown, you know, restored um, Hulk. So, and it's so unusual for Crusher Creel to do something smart because he is the epitome <laughs> of like the big dumb guy, you know, in comics. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. And it's a little bit of a change for, for that character. I actually kind of think, think things through just a little bit, you know, to realize that he couldn't win a straight up fight. Yeah. So he had to come up with some other way to do it. So, um, I do, uh, you know, since this, they do talk here about uh, Gamma Flight, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit more. And, of course, we have that, I think it's current series mm-hmm. um, of Gamma Flight, which I haven't read yet. But uh, we kind of see some more of its early origins right here. So, Yeah, because Crusher gets invited to join the team, right? Yep. And, of course, he wants his he wants Titania to join as well because that's who he's married to. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's, then, her, what's, what's her? Tell me about her. that character. I don't know that name. Okay, so Titania, she was basically created during the first Secret Wars. Um, she was just Doctor Doom pulled a couple people out of, like, I think it was Denver, Colorado. They got taken to the War World, uh, or mm-hmm. Battle World. That's Battle World, excuse me, Battle World. Um, and he pulled a couple people out and created two uh, characters. One was Titania, and the other was, oh, I can't remember her name, like Magma or Volcana or something along that lines. But she's yeah. basically just a she's just a bruiser is what it's yeah. boils down to. Okay. Um, so her and um, uh, Crusher Krill kind of have a similar, you know, the strength thing and the, the pummeling thing. So that's their, that's what uh, their similarities are and why they're a couple. Awesome. Gotcha. We probably should talk about Bushwhacker again, since he does, he's the, the eyes. Oh, man, I the, don't like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's trouble. I get, did he ended up going to hell as well, right? But we just didn't yeah. see him really. They didn't really shine a light on him. Yeah, they, he talks about that in some of the upcoming upcoming issues. Yeah. So he's kind of there witnessing all of this stuff that's going on, and that that what we're going to see later on impacts the decision that he makes whenever uh, Bruce and Betty meet up. So, mm-hmm. uh, and it's I mean he's a, he's a good character for this, but it's just such a weird pick. You know, this guy with this cybernetic arm that can turn into a gun, you know, so, um, but, uh, but yeah, so, all right, on to, uh, well, let me, let me, let me ask a couple questions sure. on this issue. I haven't talked. So okay. So the, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the burning tree in this black and white page, is that supposed to represent God somehow like the burning bush or is that what you guys think? Or is there something I'm missing in the whole history? It's like the very first page of the issue. Oh, okay. I got to flip all the way back here. (laughs) It talks about what is the Hulk? We have spoken of the wrath of God and and of the form that might take. Well, it's definitely Uh, not burning bush because it's surrounded by other trees. Yeah. I so, just thought there might have been some relevance to it that I wasn't aware of. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I have, I have no uh, idea. No. Like, I can't do uh, that one way or the other, so sorry. No, yeah, I got well, nothing. that was all I... I hate to have you go all the way back to the first page, and that would be my only question, but <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you better come uh, up with another question, so... 
Okay, so it wasn't the the cloud monster wasn't just sending forth his minions; he was vomiting them. That's I mean, true. oh my gosh, that's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, but they I all kind of went all away I... once you know. I mean, you know, once the whole yeah. gets, gets the gamma back, and you know, kind of takes care of that. So. Oh, and the last page we had the uh, not the last page, but close to the last page where the Hulk tells Bruce he loves him. It was like the Bud Light, I love you, man moment. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> All right. All right, 14. All right. So at 14, uh, we uh, our change of uh, scenery, we are now at the funeral of General Thunderbolt Ross, and Betty's reflecting on the multiple deaths of her father, him coming back to life, being a hero, uh, and also being a villain. Uh, and General uh, Fortian, I think is what we landed on, how to pronounce it, uh, comes Definitely back. Definitely not 14. Not 14. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 14. <laughs> General Fortian comes back into the story via a eulogy for General Ross. Uh, it doesn't seem like Betty's a big fan of General Fortian. Um, and Betty returns uh, from the funeral to find Bruce at home, as he had said he was going to do in the phone call in last issue. And uh, though she's mad at him, she embraces him and then tells him to get inside because they're not safe. Uh, we see why, as Agent Burbank, or Bushwhacker, uh, has followed her home and has his sights set on Bruce uh, inside as a statue that blocks General Fortian's monitors, the the hanging upside-down guys with the uh, the weird TV faces or whatever it is. Uh, 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 so the monitors can't see inside the house. Uh, Fortian is adamant uh, that Bushwhacker not take the shot because uh, it could harm Betty, but uh, Bushwhacker's pretty insistent that he's going to do it and ends up taking a shot uh, just based on heat signatures uh, and ends up shooting Betty instead of the Hulk. Go figure. Um, Hulk lashes out towards the woods uh, where Bushwhacker is. Uh, Bushwhacker uh, gets a couple of good shots on Hulk, uh, including in his head, uh, before Bushwhacker is tossed aside by Doc Sampson uh, and is able to escape. Betty is seen coming back to life, assuming due to uh, some gamma radiation rules uh, that no one stays dead. Yeah, because uh, Betty's had several gamma-related personalities now because, I mean, she, she initially was a gamma creature called the Harpy. Mm. Um, that was the green harpy back in Incredible Hulk 168, and then she became the red She-Hulk, or yeah. the She-Rulk, some people refer to her as. <laughs> and then I don't, I, we're going to get—I I don't know if this is the first appearance of this particular persona, or if this persona had been around previously. Um, of the of the well, actually, it's not here, so I guess I shouldn't say anything yet. So, <laughs> so I'll hold off on on that statement because that's not till next issue. So. Um, but uh, the little hint, you know, when she comes back, her eyes are red, so it's going to be a red yeah. something. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly didn't expect her to come back. You know, whatever. To to, I thought this was she was going to be dead, dead, and this the way uh, I was pretty shocked by that scene. Um, yeah, it's this, still a shocking scene, even though you know, even somebody who knows that she's gamma, and at this yeah. point, enough people with gamma have come back to life. You realize she's not going to stay dead, but it was still a pretty 
shocking scene. Just the the expression yeah. in her eyes alone. Right. She's shot. That that panel is yeah, like. Yeah, I, I was expecting the Hulk to just rip rip. Uh, what's his name? Bushwhacker. The Bushwhacker to <laughs> pieces. But yeah. yeah, unfortunately not. Well, and this is kind of that change in power set, you know, for for the Hulk because. I, I think there would have been a time where Bushwhacker could not have hurt the Hulk, no matter sure. what caliber bullet he was firing at him. Yeah, there was a different artist on this issue. I, I, on my digital copy, I can't tell who does it. Who did the art? Can you tell me? Uh, maybe. Hold on. Because <laughs> on the last page instead of on the first page, All Kyle right. Oates. Hmm. Okay. It wasn't bad, just a little different. It's different, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the same inker, but the, the inking feels a little darker. Actually, he must have inked himself because there's no inker listed. So. Oh, okay. It was reminiscent that that whole big hole and gaping hole in his skull is reminiscent of the issue back in, I think, volume one where he's got a big hole in his torso. Yes. yes. <laughs> and then in this next issue, we're going to see some funny, you know, even though he's... You know the Hulk is a- animated and he can move and talk. He it is it doesn't go without effect that he has mo- half of his brain missing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. His his art kind of reminds me of a of a slightly more realistic Sam Keith. Like when you look yeah. at stuff like the Max, That's, it's just yeah. it's 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 that style, but with a more with a little bit more realism. Yeah, that's a good comparison. So. There were a couple of things that was a, maybe, uh, oh gosh, I can't even think of maybe like a Steve Dillon almost. That's another one, yeah. Hmm. I, it's probably because like the Steve Dillon, because I always thought that like, Steve Dillon had a pretty heavy, heavy line. Yeah. You know? I, yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely see that. So, um, hmm. let's see. I don't, I don't, I don't because I have anything else for this issue. So, you guys have anything else for this issue? No. Nope. Okay. Well, I guess since we we mentioned Bushwhacker before, one of the reasons why he takes the shot, even though that he is told not to oh, take yeah. the shot, is because he's seen where the Hulk took them, and he thinks that basically that no that doesn't need to happen again. So, <laughs> um, but he goes pretty quick from being pretty confident that he can handle it to yeah, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Once he realized he messed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once he realized his thousand cow wasn't enough to actually stop the Hulk. So. Yeah. All right, so issue 15. All right, on 15, we get Doc Sampson uh, explaining how he died and then resumed his life, uh, referring to the green door uh, through this story. Uh, he did the responsible thing and had S.H.I.E.L.D. run some tests on him to make sure that uh, he wasn't taken over by someone still uh, from his battle and death with Modoc and the leader. Uh, he rekindles his friendship with Betty only after both Bruce and Rick Jones uh, had died. Uh, and then, uh, where did I, I, oh my gosh, I lost my spot. There we go. Uh, <laughs> and then knowing <laughs> that, uh, knowing that the Hulk has taken some head trauma, uh, he essentially <laughs> stalls the furious and brain damaged Hulk until Hulk's brain grows back uh even teaching him to use the word smash again uh <laughs> waiting out the healing hulk finally comes to and remembers that betty was shot 
and Doc Sampson says she's dead, uh, but Betty is not in the spot where she died at. So uh, there's a little mystery there. Uh, Hulk and Doc Sampson uh, have a little bit of a therapy session on the beach uh, where Devil Hulk reveals that he has taken uh, kind of a father figure role for Bruce as he was looking for someone to turn to. Um, the, the personality of Devil Hulk has kind of taken that role. Um, and uh, and then they go to the Severin Memorial Cemetery where Rick Jones has been buried to find that that grave is empty. So they've got some yeah. explaining to do. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Severin Cemetery. So because he got both Marie Severin and John. Was it John Severin? I think it was the other I Severin. So. Yeah, yeah, that was an so. artist. So, hmm. um, yeah, and this is this is definitely tying in more to the Secret Empire time frame uh because that's also when rick jones died approximately this time because he was kind of working against the hydra cap so uh in one of the issues that's where that's where he was killed so um uh, let's see i don't know that i have a whole lot to say about this issue the scene you know just him watching his the hole in his head get smaller and smaller uh panel to panel as it regenerates is uh you know, it's kind of a nice effect. <laughs> yeah. Was Doc Samson always a, a gamma affected character or was that later on? As far as I know from his first appearance, he was gamma. So okay. um, that, that's why he has the green hair. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, cause they, I'm pretty sure he's on the cover of his first appearance and, and he's got the green hair on that, on that first appearance. So. He could be a member of the flashes, uh, Flash family with a the lightning bolt T-shirt. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know what's significant about that, but uh, yeah, I do like the joke about the Green Hulk um, with him being concerned about environmental causes all of a sudden. <laughs> yes. oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and it is kind of odd that. Uh, you know, and Samson uh, points this out that's like, hey, why aren't we looking for Betty? Aren't you worried about her? Right. And uh, it's like, no, because you know, she survived a bullet to the brain, so she's going to be fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, yo, know, okay, I guess it was in 16 where we, we see that come back because it's not here in 15 either. So that's what I get for reading an issue ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when you mentioned it. I was like, man, you read into a lot more of that than I did. Cause I didn't, I didn't pick that, but I realized you had read ahead already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I've read, I've read it like through issue like 30 or something. Yeah. And, uh, but I read just recently 16 as well. So if there's one thing I've learned, if you've taken a dose of gamma and you die, you will come back. You will come back. <laughs> So, you know, there's lots of people out there. So, you know, yeah. they show Amadeus Cho. We haven't seen Amadeus Cho yet, you know. Yeah. So, be interesting to see if uh, when he, well, he does show up later. So, much later. Mm. I don't know if he shows up how soon it is, but he'll show up. So. Yeah, I like the way that, um, that Al Ewing has, you know, tried to incorporate those old storylines into this. So. Even though I'm not familiar with him fully, I, I do know enough to to know that Cho was a, a Hulk for a while. <laughs> yeah. but he's not he's not trampling on what other people have done. So right, know? right. So that's uh that's good. So well, and that was we're through, right? Yeah, that is that well, is the end of volume Hulk. three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, I don't know. Any thoughts or uh, overall thoughts on the third volume? Uh, how would I rate it? I I think the first three, the first two, the three fifths of this volume was it was deep and it was it was okay. I felt like it it lasted a little bit too long, but this isn't much. It's not the best of the three. No. trades i would say um and, but that doesn't mean it was bad so um i still enjoyed it uh, i think it still pushed the the story forward um i was but i was relieved to see an issue for that they were back on earth mm-hmm. terra firma dealing with real life issues and not, not you know in this very surrealistic uh version of hell um but otherwise uh it's yeah, the first two trades I liked a little bit better, but this wasn't bad. Well, I, I tried to adjust my scale, right? So I'm trying to, like, any, anything, you know, like, very fine and higher is something that I'm really glad I read. I would read it again, you know. Yeah. So this, to me, is right at that line of, like, you know, very fine, maybe very mm-hmm. fine plus. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going, you know, I need, I haven't picked up the hardcover for this yet, but it's on my, you know, it's on my list of things I need to pick up. I need to get the hardcover of this, make it part of my permanent collection. Um, so it's, it's definitely, you know, really, really good. And I really feel like that we're getting a little bit of setup for some of the upcoming volumes. You know, it's like, we need to get the reader familiar with a few of these characters so we can set up the next part of the story. So, so it's a little bit of a setup volume, I think. Yeah, that's a good, that. good point. A lot of character development, especially for the Hulk and and his different pieces of him, and that I did I I think that Volume Two I enjoyed so much more than I did this one. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm with you. I kind of I agree with you. It's got it very teeter tottered on that line of would I read this again versus is it is it just like oh I I read that once it was it was nice. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited. I, I'm hooked though because I I do I'm. <laughs> I, I was ready to jump into 16. I was like, okay, I'm ready. What's next? Give me more. <laughs> well, I did. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we ready to go on to talk a little bit about what we've been reading. Yeah. I think so. I have read a ton of stuff. I feel like. So I don't know who wants to go first. Chad, why don't you go first? I'll, I'll okay. I'll lead the way. All right. All right. Um, I I've got a just a few things I wanted to make mention of. I started reading uh, Invincible for the first time, uh, just kind <laughs> of on the on the foothills of the TV show coming out. Um, and I was like, I I really want to read enough of this before I watch the TV show so that I I can kind of understand what's going on. And I I like to read the book before I I watch the show if I possibly can. Uh, so I, I dove into uh, just a little bit of background on it. Image Comics, uh, created by Robert Kirkman, Corey Walker, and Ryan Otley. Uh, first started in January of 2003 as when this series kicked off. Um, I've read through the first three volumes is what I've kind of made my way through. I've been reading it in the omnibus format, though. I've got like the digital version of the omnibus, uh, which reads really well. It just kind of... You, it gives you a page of what issue you're on and then moves right on. You don't even know when one storyline ends and the other one picks up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm only about, I think, like a third of the way through the omnibus, uh, <laughs> of the, the first omnibus on that. There's a, a, I think there's 20-something trades of, of this, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
But it's uh, just a little bit of background on it. It's a coming-of-age story about Mark Grayson, who's the son of Omni-Man, who's a a Superman-type superhero from the planet Viltrumite. Uh, Mark gets his powers and becomes the the superhero Invincible, is the name of the character. Uh, And uh, it's a lot of high school teenager story in the background of a a superhero story similar to kind of reminds me of uh, like a Spider-Man type book when, you know, there's a lot of just high school drama and regular stuff that's all happening in between trying to balance uh, student life and being with your parents Mm -hmm. and also learn how to be a superhero, except for in the, in Mark's case, he's, his dad is a superhero already. So I guess that would be the big difference there. Um, I, what I really enjoyed about uh, at least the first three volumes is there's obviously a continuing storyline throughout it, but there's a lot of issues that are just one-offs. There's uh, just adventures that kind of pop through and you can enjoy uh, just a, a one-shot uh, throughout it, and it's not uh, constantly pulling through a giant sprawling story, uh, which you don't see a lot of anymore, especially in superhero stuff. It seems like they're always building towards... Uh, one big story that's that's going over 12 issues or whatever it may be. Uh, so it, it keeps the pace going pretty well when you can stop and have a little adventure like that. Uh, and then uh, just as the story continues, Invincible works with a... Uh, and kind of joins a, a Teen Titans type uh, uh, team called the Teen Team uh, and assists with their adventures... Uh, they establish, uh, that there's a, a really good bonding, uh, relationship between father and son with Invincible and Omni-Man. Um, and you, you see how much he cares and what he's, how he, he's really wanting to make sure he's a, a good superhero and that he, he represents everything good. Um, and then at, towards the end of the second volume, Omni-Man kills off all of the guardians of the globe, which is kind of our justice league. Uh, group and we learn that uh, Omni Man is not a good person. Uh, that uh, Invincible's dad is is kind of the villain of our story. Uh, that the Viltrumites, uh, the alien race that he's part of, uh, they take over planets and uh, conform them to kind of a a quote unquote better life, uh, setting up kind of a dictatorship uh, where the alien race just takes over and says this is the way, um, and <clears throat> and not in a cool like Mandalorian kind of way. Uh, and, uh, and so he kills the guardians of the globe because for, they know from doing this with multiple planets that they have to kill off these big powers that could fight against the alien invasions that would soon happen. Um, so after learning of Omni-Man's killing spree, uh, Invincible stands up to him and gets beat within an inch of his life, uh, by Omni-Man. Uh, after which Omni-Man just disappears into space and we don't see him uh, any longer. Um, and so they're left with no superhero team. Uh, Robot, who was the, the leader of the team team, uh, has been chosen to run the new Guardians of the Globe. And, uh, and so he's picking team and interviewing. And uh, that's kind of where I've left off, is that there's, they're working through getting that new setup and kind of dealing with the aftermath of Omni-Man just kind of disappearing and uh, and Invincible dealing with the fact that his father's kind of is the villain of the story. Um, I thought this read really well. I mean, I, I really like uh, Kirkman's writing. He 
writes a really solid, smooth story. Um, and the art was just so bright for as gory as it, as the story can be. It's a very, very bright and, uh, and, uh, happy, happy colors. <laughs> and how many issues did you just describe Chad? Uh, that's over, uh, three volumes. I think it's probably about 12 or 13, 14, okay. something like that. Uh, that's a good summary of it. That's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that one's been fun. And I, I started re uh, watching the TV show and, it doesn't follow the same order at all whatsoever. So I, I found myself like kind of going, okay, I got to stop watching the show because <laughs> things are happening that are like in the third volume already. It's and... like Game of Thrones. Like you don't want to get <laughs> yeah overrun yeah. the books when you're watching the TV show. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to have to keep uh, trucking along on the reading before I pick up the show again. Nice. Um. And then I read the first issue of Radiant Black. I I couldn't wait for the trade to come out, so I I, I dove into it. I I was I just couldn't stand it anymore. Is it everything they're talking? Is it everything they say it is? Um, it's it's pretty good. I I I was rating things and I gave it a, a near mint minus uh, on my scale. Uh, I really liked uh, I like Kyle Higgins' uh, writing and uh, Marcelo Costa uh, is the artist on there. It really gave me uh, a lot of Invincible vibes as I'm reading them kind of back to back. Oh, I was like, okay, yeah. they, they kind of have a, a similar vibe. I think that Marcelo does uh, artwork not as bright and sunshiny. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit more, uh, I don't know, it, it doesn't, it, it kind of, it's pretty mainstream still. I would say that it, it reminds me a lot of your uh you what you would read or what you would see art wise from a, a batman comic right now or something along those lines yeah um but the the story you know is kind of a down on this luck writer uh who has is almost 40k in debt uh has to go home uh to uh, live with his parents because he doesn't have any money and he doesn't have any writing gigs um and so he goes uh goes out with one of his friends like on his first night out and uh, they get drunk and, and are just kind of just living in the I had to move home and live with my parents and I'm in my <laughs> 30s or whatever uh, because I'm, I'm broke and I don't have a job. And uh, when they leave the bar, there's this kind of glowing orb uh, out in the like in the middle of the train tracks. And so they go and ex uh, explore what it is and. Uh, our main character Nathan touches it and uh, kind of becomes encompassed in the suit, uh, and uh, and is kind of trying to figure out what it is. And cops show up and they are you know what what are you doing? You're on the train tracks. Why are you in the suit? What's going on here? And uh, and they kind of resist a little bit. And a train's coming. And uh, so our our Nathan, our main character, uh, is able to quickly pull his friend off the train tracks that he's with, but in turn also uh, ends up moving the train and the cops and the police car all kind of levitating in the air. Um, and so he kind of freaks out, uh, takes his friend and they fly away and everything falls safely back on the ground. Nothing. It, it gently lands back down. It doesn't explode <laughs> and fall or anything. Um, and then uh, he just, once they get back on the ground, uh, Nathan and his friend, he's just, kind of unleash unloads and it's just like, I don't have any money. I don't have a, a home, a job. And now I've got this suit and I'm probably going to mess this up too. whatever this thing is. 
it kind of seems rushed that he's already thinking about the responsibilities of the suit five minutes after he's wearing it. Uh, that was kind of the only thing that stood out oddly to me. But otherwise, I thought it was a, a pretty good story. I've got the first three issues now. And uh, so that I've quickly moved it up to the top of my reading pile to learn more of what's going on there. But it's, it was it was pretty good. Uh, and then the last thing I was reading uh, is uh, a book called Giga, uh, which is from Vault. Uh, it came out in October of last year's when it started. It's a, like a five issue miniseries and the first three issues are out. Uh, the fourth one, I think, comes out the end of this month. Uh, but it's uh, written by Alex Packnadel and the artist is John Lee. Um, I hadn't really heard of either one of them, but the, mm-hmm. the cover pulled me in as like this giant like robot hand with a tree growing out of it and this kid like sitting next to it and i was like well that kind of looks interesting blue bright blue skies behind it um and i'm not really into to mech stories like giant robots aren't really something i i generally gravitate to but the artwork really was just like i'm in, i'm interested you got me got me hooked just by the cover um as so many times that happens uh and so uh the story kind of goes that there's these giant mechs that come to earth and kind of transformer-esque and they end up fighting these this decade-long battle just around all these people and just fighting and tearing stuff down and just tearing it up and then they stop at some point in time and they just become these dormant robots these skyscrapers of of robots um, and people build a religion almost around these sent from heaven kind of giant mechs and they live within them and they, they create these homes and these cities around these dormant offline robots. Um, and so our character Evan uh, discovers that one of the mechs is he finds one of them uh, dead offline uh, dismantled in the woods um, and it's like well that's not right and so he kind of keeps it to himself though because he doesn't know what to do who to believe how to how to tell people because it's kind of a, a big deal this is a, a god essentially to them and it's it's dead and and what do you do and uh, ends up returning to kind of check it out a little bit further and investigate and gets found at the scene of the crime and has become a suspect for potentially <laughs> murdering a god. Uh, and uh, so I thought that was a, a pretty cool concept for a story. And uh, and we'll continue reading it. It's a five-issue mini, so might as well finish it up. <laughs> Who did you say writes it? Uh, it's uh, Alex Pacnadel, P-A-K-N-A-D-E-L. Okay. No, yeah. me neither. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's what I've been reading. Mike, you want to go or you want me to go? Uh, go ahead. Okay, this go may right take ahead. a bit. Yeah. So, because I've been reading a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, I've got I got a list here. And actually, it'll be a lot shorter because I've been focusing on reading Captain America. <laughs> so, I'm still read. I'm on my reread of Volume 1. And the last time we did one of these, I was on Issue 283. I am now up to Issue 427. So, since oh the last time we gosh. did this, I've read about 140 issues of Captain America. So... <laughs> Now, I don't know that I would recommend that everybody else do that, because really some of these stories aren't great. Um, but we did have Cap Wolf in here, so that was part of the Cap Wolf storyline. Uh, now, one thing that I read that I did really enjoy was uh, DC Comics Presents issue 59. 
and this is Superman and the Legion of Substitute Heroes. Yeah. Um, it is, it's hilarious. So Superman catches ambush bug, ends up going into the future. Uh, Superman needs to figure out how to get back. So he's like, goes to the Legion. All the Legionnaires are gone. The substitute Legionnaires are there. It's like, can you watch him while I go, you know, take care of this other issue? They're like, sure. Well, they don't tell him that their containment cell is broke. Ambush bug escapes. They go through the whole thing. It's just a mess, but it is. Uh, You know, those substitute heroes weren't always, they weren't created originally to be uh, humorous. They were just inept. So it became humorous. I mean, some of their power, I mean, Stone Boy, his power is to turn into stone where he can't turn back. He's just impervious to harm. He just turns into stone. Yeah. He has to <laughs> take him forever kid. to think to turn back, you know. So right. <laughs> but anyway, it was, it's good. You know, the that Legion of Substitute Heroes annual or special, that's just like one of my all time favorite comics. That's a good so, one. Yeah. Um, I read the first issue of the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, I think this was from last year. I, it's okay. So I guess if you're big fans of these characters, um, it would be something worth reading, but it's not, it didn't really pull me in. Um, read the first issue of the Jimmy Olsen 12 issue series by Matt Fraction. Mm. Uh, I definitely need to pick up the rest of that. So uh, that is something that I'm definitely going to uh, read. Uh, an odd one uh, that I read was Crimson Flower. I read the first issue of that. This mm. is by Matt Kent, and it has very, yeah. very strange artwork. The artwork on it's a little, everything's exaggerated, and um, I, I couldn't really get into it, but I guess I could see where some people could really enjoy this story. Um, you basically have this, like, I think this, like, Russian girl who's basically, she's looking for her father's murderer is mm. kind of what it boils down to. So um, it's it's a little weird. Got very, like I said, very distinctive artwork. Um, I don't think I'm going to pick up the rest of it, but uh, it's not terrible, but it's just not for me. I think uh, I came across, I saw that at some point in time, and it, it looked interesting. Uh, the artwork did, at least. Yeah, it's one of those things where I pick up the first issue just in case, you know. Right, it's, yeah. You know, series nod or whatever. So I thought, well, I, might, I got it. I might as well read it, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did finally, after... Uh, quite a while of it sitting in my two read pile uh wrap up the christopher priest uh deathstroke series so i read issues uh 41 through 50 of that and also the two teen or two or three teen titans issues uh where we had the terminus agenda crossover um with the teen titans and that was good uh of course we read for the podcast abbott volume one so and then we all i also read for the podcast aquaman the new 52 volume one and then I also read the James Bond uh, Black Box series. Um, Legion of Superheroes, Bendis. Uh, I did get through issue nine of that series, so I've got 10, 11, and 12 left to read. And I am actually really enjoying the Legion by Bendis. So um, I'm, I'm going to finish that up pretty soon. Uh, one of my favorite series that I let myself get behind on was Die. So I actually reread all the first 15 issues. Um and I noticed that something with Kieran Gillen, um, and I'll talk about this more whenever I get to the next thing of his that I read. Um, but I'm still enjoying Die, though it's not quite as much as I did that first volume. Um, a surprise book for me was the Deceased series. So it's basically the DC Zombies mm-hmm. uh, storyline. That is good. Yeah, I thought that was actually really, really good. I like, you know, the whole anti-life being the cause of it and... 
so if you if you're if you're like the Marvel Zombies or even you know Walking Dead and you want to get some Walking Dead in your superheroes, then Deceased would be a good read for everybody. Um, the Shang Chi series, uh, not the current one, but the previous five issue series, um, I also like that. I, I, Shang Chi as a character is growing on me, which I guess is good. Uh, I can start looking forward to the movie. <laughs> I guess, you know, it's good. It's nice to get some good martial arts comics, um, you know, just because, I mean, I guess we got firepower as well. Uh, but, uh, but the Iron Fist Netflix series was just so bad. It's just I've got to get that you know, out <laughs> of my system. Uh, here is one. Uh, I, uh, I read Alan Moore's From Hell, which is his take on Jack the Ripper. And he basically follows the the he like I don't know if he believes or this story is about the the theory that it was a physician in the uh, in the in the court the royal court that was actually Jack the Ripper, uh, but he ties it all into into Freemasonry and it's very wordy and uh, but I guess if you are a huge uh, Jack the Ripper fan, um, I don't know if that's the right way to describe that. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> if, if, of, uh, yeah if you yeah, are if you enjoy stuff. reading about jack the ripper how about that Maybe a bit better uh, it would probably be worth reading because it gives you a little bit of a take definitely for mature readers though um all right so going back to karen gillen uh, i read the second volume of once in future um which this is the thing about like okay so karen gillen with die you have this concept all right, so these kids get taken into a fantasy world, and they come back a couple of years later because they're scarred from their visit, and then they get sucked back in, okay? Uh, once in future, you've got this guy whose grandmother is this protector of England, and King Arthur makes his return, and it's not like you want it to be, or it's not like people think it's going to be. King Arthur's kind of the bad guy, so you've got that. Well, so Kieran Gillen, apparently, he likes to, in volumes two and or three, kind of mix things up. So in Die, instead of it just being about them and this other world, this other world has the potential to destroy our Earth. All right? Oh. In Once in Future, instead of it just being about the return of King Arthur, now they're bringing in all these characters from other works of fiction like Beowulf. So I feel like it's it's his storytelling is growing too much. I think that we're getting a lot of I don't know, a lot of unnecessary stuff that maybe, you know, he should focus on the original story with Arthur and instead of bringing in Beowulf and Grendel and all that stuff. I don't think it's necessary to um, to improve the story. So I'm a little not as into Once in Future as I was after the first volume because mm-hmm. of that change. Still like Die. Um, the oddest thing uh, that I read, and Shad, I think you and I talked about this the other day at the shop. Um, is a book called Jesus Freak. <laughs> so um, the the writer on this is Joe Casey, and he is the writer who wrote the it's like M C M L X X I I or whatever the 1970 book. It's about a, a a taxi cab driver in like Detroit who's fighting monsters and gets um, gets tips about where the monsters are from a, a late night radio jockey. So I thought okay. I'll give this a shot. I'll give this a shot. So he, at the start of this comic book, he goes into uh, like this two page little uh, explanation about his research. He did on the, you know, about the, you know, the time period of, you know, like, you know, 
30 AD, what it was like, the names of the towns, how he researched it. He wanted it to feel authentic, blah, 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 blah. You know, when you get in, you start reading it, and there's like these characters that you recognize. You know, there's Jesus and his brothers and Pontius Pilate, but it doesn't take very long. It's like, why... Why do they have Jesus not wearing like the traditional robe that you always see him portrayed in? It's like, man, that looks like a karate gi that he is wearing. Well, sure enough, this turns into uh, basically the Passion of the Christ meets Enter the Dragon. And Jesus is a martial <laughs> artist um, <laughs> fighting other people using martial arts. So, uh, yeah, it was a little weird. So definitely the weirdest thing that I had uh, that I had read. <laughs> A um, couple more things. I did read the first three issues of We Only Find Them When They're Dead. Mm. I had real high. That's also Al Ewing going back to Immortal Hulk. I had real yeah. high hopes for that series. So far, it's not really grabbing me. So, uh, um, just that's one I've really been wanting to read, but I just yeah, I just I like sci-fi. I'll probably maybe read the next three issues or finish out the first trade, but it's not been. Uh, it hasn't blown me away. So. Uh, Dune House of Trades. I read the first two issues of that. I kind of knew I wasn't going to be super big on that just because I read the book however many years ago and it didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't blow me away. Um, but I am a fan of Dune. So I thought, well, I'm going to get the comics. I might as well, might as well read them too. Um, then of course we've just finished talking about Immortal Hulk 11 through 15. And then maybe my biggest disappointment of what I've read, um, here most recently is I read the first volume of something is killing the children. And I really, that did not do anything for me. Uh, it's James Tynan. James Tynan mm-hmm. fourth. Yeah, it is just, it, it's kind of a mess. Um, yeah. It, uh, I, don't, I don't know what I was expecting from it. And as hot as that book is popularity wise, I really expected it. And maybe that's what it is. I mean, I just went with too high expectations right. for that story. Um, but it really, it really didn't do a whole lot for me. So yeah, I, read a, I read a series by him called the woods and I was underwhelmed yeah. by that as well. And I, most of my exposure to him was hero detective. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe still does. I don't know. I kind now, of, he switched yeah. over to Batman because Batman. Of, yeah, now, yeah. He's, he's, I think he might be overrated. Uh, and I think he might have some, some good stuff, but it's not all good. And, I'm not surprised to hear you say that about this. Uh, something's killing the children. Yeah. And but you know what he also does is a uh, Department of Truth, and I've liked that. So. Mm-hmm. And I had somebody tell me that I will probably like Department of Truth. I definitely like it a lot more than Something Is Killing the Children. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but I kind of I liked what he did on Detective. Um, uh, what is it? Orphan is that the character? Um, yeah, she used to be. Uh, it's uh, just Cassandra Kane. Kane. And once yeah. Upon a time, yeah. She was a, a bad girl with the full face mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She was, uh, used really well. I thought in that series. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, um, I did enjoy what I read of his on detective, but it just hasn't transferred anything else for me. So, all right. I think that's everything. That's everything. At least I wrote down. So there may be you some other things that I read. I'm envious <laughs> of your ability to, to either not have to sleep or I don't know. <laughs> well, I tried them. Yeah, well, I mean, like the Captain America's I'm reading on the Marvel Unlimited app, mm-hmm. you know, so it's it's really easy to read, you know, two or three of those a night before I go to bed. It's been, you know, what, two or three months at least before we've done a yeah. what we what we've done or what we've been reading. So, I mean, that's several months worth of reading there. So, yeah. And, 
Well, this is uh, probably my last week's worth of reading. It's probably averaging one comic book a day, so it's it's not much. I um, the 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 first thing I want to talk about is I love Treasury Edition comics. You know, the big tabloids. I collect them because of their uniqueness, because of being able to see the art in that in that in that original size or that big size and. Uh, the one that I uh, read most recently was it was limited collectors collectors edition C36 with DC and it was uh, the Bible so it was Bible stories but let it me wasn't tell you, like Jesus freak okay he didn't no, there was no kung fu fighting let me tell you, huh there was no kung fu fighting no 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 this was all from um, this was all from um, uh, the Old Testament so it was all Basically, you know, the, the Genesis and stuff like that. But I did not know this, but I did some research. And this is the first tabloid edition by Marvel RDC that was 100% original material. Normally, it would be reprints, at least mostly reprints. And um, But this was, this was published in uh, June, June or July, uh, June, July 1975. And a big whopping cover price of a dollar, 64 pages with a big cover by. I wish I could share the screen, or I can, but you know, the, the listeners can't can't see it. But <laughs> it's uh, it's a cover by Joe Kubert with Moses holding one of the tablets, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments. Uh, ironically, that that's not one of the stories inside. But <laughs> the, what really what really impressed me the most is that. Uh, the artist inside was a, a guy I've heard of before. I've seen his work, Nestor Redondo. He's one of those Filipino artists from the 70s that came over. And my goodness, his stuff is fantastic. And um, Sheldon Mayer, Sheldon Meyer, I'm not sure that's pronounced, but he was the writer of all of these stories, or at least the interpretation. And, you know, he's an artist and writer from the Golden Age. I think he might have been a co-creator of Hawkman, maybe. And he did... Um, uh sugar and spike and things like that but he's um he's been around for a long time or he had been long, around for a long time at this point and uh this was really surprisingly i really thought oh you know as a kid i bet me and along with everybody else my age were like oh, i'm not gonna read this it's the bible it's not it's not superheroes so <laughs> but let me tell you it's good stuff it's really and the artwork is fantastic it had a story about um, like I said, Genesis, you had Cain and Abel, you had Noah's Ark, you had the Tower of Babel, stuff like that. Um, so if, yeah, I don't know, it's not, it was reprinted actually in 2012 in a hardcover. I didn't know that. Looking at Mike's Amazing World, it tells me that. So then I moved on to, uh, I had heard that this was the 90th anniversary of The Shadow. The Shadow debuted in 1931 as a pulp magazine and it wasn't really centered around the shadow character himself he was it was just narrated by someone that was you know the the shadow was just the narrator that kind of framed the the, the basically the uh, detective story magazine stuff in the early 30s and then in 31 or in a then not long after that they used uh the radio to kind of promote sales and that's where you get the Orson Welles and the you know who knows uh what evil lurks in the hearts of men the shadow knows and I, I'm not if 
you have to get online and listen to that. Uh, it, it sounds really good. You have to appreciate the radio drama back then because that's really their biggest media in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then in 1931, he became actually the, uh, you know, the character, you know, that, that it was centered about. Uh, and it was uh, Streets and Smith, I think, was the uh, uh, publisher, Street and Smith Publications. And anyway, that's getting off on too much of a tangent. I decided, you know, I'm gonna, I know that there were some Batman stories that The Shadow co-starred in. I, I could have gone to The Shadow series in the 70s and read some of that, but I wanted to get the, the Batman story. So uh, the first one is uh, Batman number 253, uh, a real classic Michael Kaluta cover. Kaluta is known for his Shadow covers. You know, Shadow's got that long nose and he's got the big, big... I don't know if you would even call a fedora hat. It's just a really big brimmed hat, and he's got the scarf around his mouth, and uh, he's holding both of his pistols at Batman, and it's just a fantastic cover. The inside story is uh, written by Denny O'Neill, penciler Irv Novick, another Golden Age writer artist, who's I mean he's he's got some great credit. It's just after you see a cover by Kaluta, you're like, okay, it's a little bit less than stellar when you see Irv Novick. Still though. Uh, it was fun to see the appearance, and, and, and this is the continuity or the, the connection. I love to see, even if it's like after the fact and they manufacture that, you know, that, that the fact in this story that Batman was inspired by uh, the Shadow, Lamont Cranston. And even though that's not – the Batman character wasn't necessarily inspired by um, – or I'm sorry, didn't inspire, uh, you know, Bill Finger or Bob Kane – Necessarily, I know they kind of pulled from some of his early stories for some of the uh, the Batman stories. So anyway, 253 was a cool story um, that kind of pulled these, you know, obviously at this point, uh, DC had the rights to the shadow. Uh, then there was a subsequent story in Batman number 259, which was one of those 100, 100 page uh, giants for 60 cents. Um, and it was it was another good story by the same creators. It had Denny O'Neill as the writer and, and Irv Novick uh, as the artist. And um, yeah, I, I just love historical pieces like this. And also because it made you know I wanted to pull this up on my DC Comics or DC Universe Infinite, but since someone else has the rights to the Shadow now, you can't get these issues of Batman from from the uh, online app. So you have to. You have to pull it from back issues, or if you have it reprinted somewhere, you have to get it from there. I like that cover uh, on 259 where it says, you can see the shadow, but can you find Bruce Wayne? I know. <laughs> I'm glad you Yeah, I'm like, uh, no kidding. Yeah, it's it's the it's the blonde-headed guy that's the uh, tall yeah. one with the orange pants. <laughs> it's obviously the – I want to say it was uh, – <laughs> What he reminds me of is uh, Angus Young of ACDC yeah. when he was young, you know, with <laughs> shorts and socks. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the next issue I have is a, a couple of Marvel, Marvel comics, and I haven't – I'm kind of cheating here because I haven't read them yet, but I know – I knew the creators, and I was – I actually picked this up down in Panama City. Well, well, you should say these for the next what you've been reading. Well, you yeah, I'm going to read. It's Avengers 197 and Avengers 201. Both of them George Perez uh, art. And I remember the 201 cover where Jarvis is holding his vacuum cleaner and he's like, 
stand back Avengers. This is where I take over. He's about ready to clean up the mess they've just made. So well, he was trying to clean uh, up the mess that they made for Mission Avengers issue 200 is what he's trying to clean up. So <laughs> yeah, I've got that one at home. <laughs> so uh, uh, next up is a. Okay, I can't even remember why I pulled this out, but it was a... Oh, I know, because I'm kind of doing a reread of all the Justice League International and Justice League Europe, all of those stories, and there was a crossover in 1989 in the Power of the Atom series, which was not really well-reviewed. It just wasn't a great book. It was written by Roger Stern, uh, so he, he did some good Superman stuff, but uh, and some stuff with Marvel was really good, but... Anyway, the issue I, I picked up was a crossover with Justice League International where they were trying to recruit the Atom. And and the Atom is trying to uh, – he's actually flipping Guy Gardner. Uh, he's he, he gets underneath Guy, Guy Gardner's boot and just, you know, changes his weight and his, his uh, size or his weight and was able to trip Guy Gardner, throwing him over on his back. So uh, the story was basically just one of those – of that era stories, you know, uh, a lot of, humor. it was fun. And then last but not least, I, uh, have, uh, I read an issue of all-star Western number two. I pulled it because it was the first appearance of El Diablo. Uh, it's an, uh, uh, Neil Adams cover. Uh, and you know, it's, it's it's a western. I don't normally read them, but I, I wanted to read it because it was the first appearance of and this all-star Western was, there was an original originally it converted from all-star comics, which was, you know, the suit, the justice society. And then when superheroes kind of went out of style, they changed it to all-star Western that continued until its cancellation. And then in the mid or the early seventies, they came up with the new all-star Western. So, uh, anyway, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty much what I've been reading. It's, Nothing. I'm not keeping up with you, but I, I've I've read some other newer stuff like uh, Crime Syndicate, um, but I really spend so much time so much time trying to keep up with what I need to read that I don't always get to read the new stuff. So um, I uh, I need to get on that. <laughs> All right. Well, does anybody got anything else to add before we wrap up this episode? Oh, I want to say that I've been. <laughs> I even turned my Twitter notifications on, Scott, so that in case you did send me with the answer to what the name of Aquaman's uh, Aquaman's seahorse steed was, I would get that nobody has. Nobody, nobody has. has. Nobody has. So. I'm, it's okay. I'm not hurt. I'm not hurt, yeah. folks. Um, <laughs> still have time. I'll still mail still now at this point. Yeah. People could just easily look it up uh, yeah. on Google and, and tell look me, but uh, start second, you know, search if that, to find the answer to that question, I'm sure. So I just, I was probably trusting the integrity of, of our listeners, which I know is very high and they would not do that. Maybe <laughs> yeah. that's why nobody's asking me. Yeah. So <laughs> do you want to know who it is? It's up to you. I mean, if you want to wait another episode, yeah, in case somebody wants to, so people, yeah, I'm I'm pretty generous with my, yeah, or my I should say my wife is generous with my comics. You can have one of my comics, very. <laughs> you can have a lot of my. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's give another episode and see if anybody wants to give me the name of that, and we'll still send them that ten dollar comic. There you go. Nice. 
All right. So speaking of where they would reach out to somebody to you if they wanted to, you know, win that ten dollar comic, where would they do that at, Mike? It's a, the very. It's sorry. It's a lot of heavy traffic on this on this address, <laughs> but it's uh, at Mike Atchison five. If it's slow getting through, just be patient um, and try. <laughs> So, Shad, what about you? So want to reach uh, you out can to you? find me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, at Shad Schubert. That's S-H-A-A-D-S-C-H-U-B-E-R-T. And I'm Scott Reed. You can find me at birdcomics.com. That has links to all of my social media and eBay store and all that fun stuff. And then don't forget, July 24th, we got the first Buddy Monster Minicon with uh, the Red Ranger from Time Force. Jason Fount will be there. Uh, so be sure and mark that on your calendar, and we hope to see you there. Otisburg? Otisburg? It's a small place, Lex. <laughs> Who knows what evil lurks in the dark of the hearts of men. Alright. Okay, I think I'm ready. You guys ready? Yeah. Ready for what? Oh. <laughs> Is there a way to kick people off of this call? Let me just find out. Right I just want to, just, just for reference, let's see. That would be, that would oh, remove the call. There we go. Alright, so I can. So you watch it, mister. <laughs> <laughs>